Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is God's word. Well, good morning. Let me have my welcome. Uh, my name is uh, Matt Fuller, if we've not met. Uh, let's pray. Let's pray as we begin together. Our great God and Father, thank you that you are the Lord of all the peoples of this earth and nations. And this morning we ask that again you would lift our eyes to see you with greater clarity, to recognise our part in your plan that is a great joy and brings us delight to be involved in this project, this mission of yours, that all the peoples of this earth should know Jesus Christ as Lord. Teach us more of your plan and of yourself this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some will know this, but let me just encourage you as we begin. Did you know, did you know that in 1900, there are about 50,000 Protestants in Latin America, and today there are about 35 million. That's, that's good growth by any business model. By all estimates, there'll probably be 100 million within the next 25 years. In 1900, in South Korea, there are about 12,000 Christians. Now there are about 15 million, which is more than 30% of the population. That, again, is quite encouraging growth. Again, you know, probably in China 30 years ago, there are approximately 2 million Christians. Now, most would reckon it's around 100 million. Although, and a few over here. <laughs> That's maybe about 8% of the population of the country. It's enormously encouraging how around the world... People have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. Oh, here are some more challenging statistics, though. These are all the Centre for Global Christianity. Probably, I guess, the best place to go for stats on these things. But apparently 29% of the world, or peoples of the world, remain unreached. That is, they have no contact at all with the message of Jesus Christ. 29%. What is unsurprisingly, that... 29%, they own about 12% of the world's wealth. So what I'm talking about is the poorest places in the world, often. 
so acutely places Afghanistan, Tajikistan, Azerbaijan. 29% of the world's population with little opportunity to hear of Jesus Christ. Now, far more striking to me, as I was doing a little research this week, according to Operation World, uh, just over 20% of the UK population live in unreached people groups. In the UK, little or no contact at all with the message of Jesus Christ, over 20%. So Graham referenced earlier, 80,000 Somalis in London, yes, 100,000 Iranians, 350,000 Bengali speakers. Here, no contact with the gospel at all. And of course, these are countries where hardly anyone is going to share the gospel with them in their native land. And they're here. Over 20% in the UK, no one will tell them. There's no contact with them, with the gospel. How will the nations just around us, even in London, be reached? Otherwise, just the interesting, if you're interested, I found it interesting, you should too. The um, roughly about 400,000 overseas students in the UK in any given year, roughly. A quarter of them come from countries which prohibit Christian missionaries. It's interesting, isn't it? So the work amongst university students, particularly internationals, matters. International cafes and the like matter. Now, we can talk tactics for these sort of things. People have obviously for centuries had tactics how to reach the nations. And, of course, those are good and wise and it's sensible to plan. But all I want to simply really say this morning is we'll never move on from the biblical strategy or model for reaching the nations. You have different tactics, how it works in different times and different places, but the pattern, biblically, strategy you might call it, that is unchanging. And so we have in this little section of the book of Colossians somewhat of Paul's strategy for reaching the peoples of this earth. I'll give you just uh, two little preliminary comments. Uh, the first would be, uh, if you're joining us, we're looking at Colossians for much of this term. And if you are joining us today, we've said already that Paul was writing to a church and there were uh, infiltrators, false teachers, you might call them, had come in and were chipping away confidence in Jesus Christ, undermining the people's, uh, the Christians in Colossae, their confidence in Christ, saying, we can give you a short track to maturity, higher visions, deeper blessings, greater Christian living here and now. To which essentially Paul's letter right, replies and says, Jesus is all you need. So you get a hint of that today in, in chapter 2, verse 4, our reading we had. I tell you all of this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, because that's what was happening. People were being deceived. Paul is writing this letter from prison. No doubt these false teachers, infiltrators, were suggesting, don't follow the loser. You don't want to be in the side of the loser. He's in prison. Come with us. And so in this little section we have here, uh, chapter 1, verse 24 to 2, verse 5, Paul is well, he's defending his ministry, the pattern of it, and how he went about it. Here is then, he would say, a genuine strategy in outline for reaching the peoples of the earth. That's the first little comment. Uh, the second would be this. I do realise it's world-focused Sunday. We do this every time uh, this stage of the, this stage of the year. But I, I realise that if you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, 
or perhaps you are, indeed some who are Christians, always feel a little bit nervous about talk of reaching the nations or winning people for Jesus Christ. It sounds a little bit, perhaps, arrogant, aggressive, imperialistic, intolerant. And all I want to say to that is, look, there's much we could say. I'm not really going to address that at all. My only hope would be is, as we look at this little passage together, you'd see that Christians do desire to see everyone rejoice in the riches of Jesus Christ. We long for that. But if you look in upon this, you you can't, and a Christian would recognize, you, you can't coerce that. You can't manipulate that. You can't falsely manufacture that. So as Christians, we'll go out of our way, we will, as we'll see, give of ourselves so that people could hear, but only because we think, here is something wonderful to share in Jesus Christ, and we do want everyone in the world to know it. We really do, because we want to share it. Not aggressively, not forcefully, not manipulatively, but here are riches, and we don't want you to miss out. So here that is uh, Paul's strategy. It one says, how will the nations be reached? It's not complicated, it's simply this. As Christians give of themselves to speak of Jesus Christ. So really, uh, largely we're going to spend time on two little things. Paul's method. Paul's method was struggling by God's energy. And secondly, his message. Paul's message was the riches of Christ in you. And those are the two things, really, we'll spend our time on. First, then this. Paul's method as he sought to explain the gospel. Paul's method was struggling by God's energy. Now this first paragraph, verses 24 to 29, it's really framed by this theme. Do you see it? Uh, verse 24, I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Uh, verse 29, to this end I labour, struggling with all his energy. So suffering, struggle, hard work, These are, according to Paul, the normal marks of Christian gospel ministry. And if you ever think that telling people about Jesus Christ, be it in London or Azerbaijan, is easy, you are out of kilter with the Bible. It's never easy or straightforward. It involves hardship. Verse 24, at first glance, is a slightly curious expression. I rejoice in what was suffered for you. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. The parallel expressions, but the second one is curious. Question, what was lacking in Christ's afflictions? Or let me sharpen the question, what was lacking in Christ's redemptive suffering, if I can put it that way? He is dying in place of rebels like you and me. What was lacking? Answer, nothing. Nothing is lacking in his work of salvation. The whole point of the letter is Christ is all you need. We saw it a couple of weeks ago as one example. Chapter 1, verse 13. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption. It's all done. The work of salvation is done. What was lacking? Simply this. People needed to hear of it. That's what's lacking. Or you might think of it this way. Imagine you hear a a dear friend 
has contracted malaria on some wildly obscure island uh, somewhere in the South China Seas. I don't know what it is. The uh, making it up, obviously, but some wildly obscure island, and there's no doctors there. There's no medicine there. There is email, so he emails you or someone does uh, and lets you know that uh, he's going to die. He's got malaria, and there's no way of treating him. And so you, at enormous expense, uh, buy a load of malaria drugs, get the first plane you can into the region, get some bizarre, dodgy seaplane near enough to this island, and then some crazy ferry from a madman who's got a leak in his boat, and eventually you make it to the island, and you administer the drugs. And he's saved. Hurrah. Now, the drugs, what was deficient in the drugs? Nothing was deficient. They were always good enough to save. The only problem was he was there and they were here. You needed to take the drugs to him. That was what was lacking. And it's the same sort of principle here. What was lacking in the work of Jesus Christ? Nothing. Nothing. Paul just needed to tell people about it. And he had a pioneering role. So Christ's suffering is for salvation or was for salvation. Paul's suffering was for speaking. It was never anything deficient in the work of Christ. Christ has done everything required for salvation, but taking the message to people, there'd be tribulations in that. There certainly was for Paul. I guess somewhat the inevitable consequence of taking the message of Jesus Christ, you need rescuing from your sin, from darkness will always create hostility in some who are alienated from God, hostile in their thinking. There'll be tribulations, afflictions in that. And you drop down to the sort of the other bookend of this uh, little section, verse 29. Uh, Again, Paul says, To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. Genuine Christian ministry will involve struggle, striving, It's a sort of athletic term. Paul describes his ministry a bit like being in Melbourne at the Australian Open and playing tennis in 42 degree heat. And you are exhausted in the fifth set, but still you strive and desperately reach for that ball and you give it all you've got to get it back as the veins pop and bulge on your head and you wear these bizarre ice scarves and hats. Uh, in between points, striving, exhaustion. It's that sort of language, or that's the, the verb has that connotation to it. Not tennis, but hard work, striving. Paul says his ministry is struggle and labour, but with all his energy, all of God's energy within him. That's how he keeps going. So question, I mean, there are more than one way of answering this question, but in this passage, question, where do you go if you want to see God powerfully at work? Answer, in Christians who are exhausted, but keep going and telling people about Jesus Christ by God's power. That's where you see God powerfully at work with all his energy, verse 29. We give you one example from overseas before we think about ourselves. 
A couple of days ago, this month's January's prayer letter came from a friend of mine, uh, some friends. They're in Greece, and uh, they're working with IFES. They're trying in Greece to set up a student Christian movement. It doesn't really exist in the same way that UCCF does uh, over here. So they're sort of pioneering uh, in that role to try and get it up and going. They've been there for uh, six and a half years now. Uh, this uh, month's prayer letter came with some New Year reflections. And uh, as the chap wrote... It's quite easy to be a bit dispirited as we reflect upon six and a half years here, as we get going again. He wrote this. We didn't move out here thinking that we'd be the tipping point in the evangelization of Greece. We've long known that significant gospel work often takes time. And here it really does. It's easy to admit that the work here is not a barrel of laughs. We battle daily with the disappointment of not seeing significant change. So please pray for us, for joyful perseverance and patience on our part. It would be fairly typical of many. Slow, hard work. And as he and his wife, they meet with an individual here who's interested in Jesus Christ. Perhaps a couple of Christian students, they're the keen ones, willing to tell other people. But they just keep going. Not a lot's happening. Been there years. Now, how do his wife and he keep going? They try to raise four children in a complicated culture because all of God's energy is at work in them. That's how they keep going. And they tend to be there for more. The other six years. You want to see the power of God at work. Don't instinctively look for the biggest churches, the biggest names may well be in very ordinary Christian believers, just constantly, continually, despite being tired and exhausted, holding out Jesus Christ to other people. And then, I guess, one says more prosaically, but just as realistically for us here, many would know just that, just this. Many would be here working in demanding jobs, but you make time to meet up with someone who's interested in Jesus Christ, run a little course at work, two people come in an office of thousands. Oh, well. And you go to work some days on the tube, on your bike, whatever it is, thinking, I don't know how I'm just going to keep everything going today. I'm just juggling so many different things. And how am I going to find any time, make any time to speak to anyone about Jesus Christ? There's just too many issues going on, and everyone's obsessed with their work here. But you keep going. Keep going the same way that Paul did and people in Greece do and any other way. By the power of God. Energetically working within you. Question then, how will the nations be reached? It is when believers like you and me are willing to struggle, suffer, maybe just be in financial terms as we give more than we'd really like to, in order that the gospel spreads. Paul's method was struggling by God's energy. That's the first thing. Second then, his message. Paul's message, well, his message was the riches of Christ in you. Verses 25 to 29. So verse 25, here's how Paul describes himself. I've become the servant of the church by the commission God gave me. Okay, he's been commissioned for a certain task. What is it? Verse 25. To present to you the word of God in its fullness. 
uh, tangent. It seems that the, 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 in Colossae, the false teachers were saying, well, Paul and Epaphras are giving you ABC. That's nice. We can give you the full alphabet. We'll take you on. Now, Paul is saying, no, you've got it all. You've got the word of God in its fullness. And if you add to it, you lose it. This is a bit daft, but uh, think of it this way. Uh, if you take a wonderful, perfect piece of music and just insert notes randomly into it, it's just, you just ruined it. So you can take something, I don't know what works, uh, that everyone will recognize, but something wonderful, perfect, ode to joy, now, magnificent. You may not like it as the EU's international anthem, whatever it may be, but it's a rousing piece of music uh, and it always gets you. So it comes on, you can't help yourself, but... You think, what are you doing, what are you doing that for? You've ruined it. You've put the birdie song into Ode to Joy. You've added, no, why have you done that? You've just ruined it. Go away. Similarly. (laughs) Look, if you, Paul is saying, you have, I've given you the full word of God. If you add to it, you ruin it. You don't just make it a little bit more. It's gone. It's not just upon the ear less appealing. It's ruined. We'll see later on uh, in this letter. These false teachers had cut themselves off from Christ. They were no longer Christians. You add, it's gone. You've got the full word of God, says Paul. You don't need anything else. Christ is all you need. You get this, uh, what is this word, this full word of God? Well, you get a bit of a crescendo, verse 26. It's the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, now disclosed to the saints, to common word. 21 times in the New Testament you get this reference to mystery. Simply that, most of the time, uh, the Gentiles can become believers on the same basis as Jews. Faith. That's the mystery wasn't obvious in the Old Testament, but since the work of Jesus Christ, it's an open secret. Not complicated at all. Crescendo goes on. So it's the mystery, uh, verse 26, hidden, is now disclosed to the saints. Verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Crescendo builds the glorious riches. And what is this wonderful thing? Well, it's defined in two ways. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. If you are a Christian, you have Christ in you, he says. What more do you want? Not physically, of course, not tucked somewhere between your spleen and your two kidneys, not physically located, but you are united to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Do you remember what we saw last week? Chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created, things in heaven, verse 17. He is before all things, in him all things hold together. The one who made all things, sustains all things, the one for whom all things were created, him. You're united to him. That one 
is in you. All that he is and all that he has done, you are a part of. Extraordinary, the riches of Jesus Christ. You're united to him and all that he's achieved. And he's the hope of glory. That is, we are looking forward. So it is, uh, Christ is in you now, but the hope of glory awaits then. So the fullness is to come, and you know, we need to be clear on that. So uh, uh, plenty of the mission partners we're supporting and uh, are involved with would uh, do enormously beneficial work for people in the here and now, be it uh, the Lindleys uh, running the Good News Hospital in Madagascar. We heard about them uh, uh, last week when they were here uh, being interviewed, or... I know the Saras in Jerusalem with their food relief program on the West Bank. Enormously beneficial things now, but at the same time, both of those would be absolutely clear. While they can do useful things for people now, the most important thing they can do is tell them about the hope of glory then. And they want to tell people about Christ, so he dwells in them now, so they'll be in glory with him in eternity then. And that is the message they proclaim. The riches of Christ in you now, which secures eternity, glory, then. Paul's message was the riches of Christ in you. So no wonder, he says in verse 28, we proclaim him. That's what we want to talk about more than anything else. Him. Admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so we may present everyone perfect, perhaps better mature, perhaps better wholehearted in their service for the living God. So the nations must hear of the riches of Christ, the hope of glory. So if his method was struggling by God's energy, his message is Christ. You could have all the fullness of Christ, his riches in you. Uh, Briefly as we finish, his purpose, well, that's full unity and understanding. You see it in chapter 2, verse 2, my purpose. Why is he writing my purpose? My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Here again, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Now, all of this causes Paul to... Rejoice. You see how this whole section, uh, 124 and 2 verse 5, he's talking about suffering and exhaustion and toil, but the whole section is framed by this rejoicing. So verse 24, I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Chapter 2 verse 5, I am present with you in spirit and delight. Or actually it's the same word as 124, rejoice. I'm present with you and rejoice in you. Paul thinks this work is fabulous. To give your life and be exhausted and just about sustained by the power of God within you, to tell people about the riches of Jesus Christ is fabulous. It causes enormous delight and joy. So to be involved in that work is a wonderful way to spend your life. So you can hear what the mission partners are doing. You could hear through the Griffiths of uh, OMF missionaries going into Japan. They're 
penultimate uh, prayer letter is all about that challenging place to go. 30,000 suicides every year in Japan amongst young people. Just over 1% of the population would call themselves Christian of any ilk. 70% of the population unreached. And yet in the last five years, unprecedented number of people going to Japan as missionaries. It's exciting. How thrilling to hear of that. You'd hear of Read the prayer letter, the Nelsons in Paris, the Rue de Turn Church, and a couple of months ago, baptism service, Mark and Audrey became Christians. Great. Who are they? I don't know. Meet them in heaven. But great. And we're involved in that work. Fabulous. And on we could go. Churches planted in Rwanda by those trained on the Preach the Word course by uh, 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 the Lambrecht family. Great. Great. What do you want to live for? Because Paul says, oh, there's nothing as wonderful as hearing of these sort of stories. Paul hadn't been with these Colossians, verse 5. I'm absent from you in body, but I'm present with you in spirit. I'm so thrilled to hear some of you become Christians. You're still going as Christians. Fabulous. The Lord is the Lord of the whole world and all the earth. What do you want to live for? Paul's method was struggling by God's energy. The message was the riches of Christ in you. There's great delight in that. We've been reading at home. Uh, I don't know if you come across, you use any of these books with your kids. They're great for um, school-age kids, uh, primary school age probably. Uh, the 10 Boys and 10 Girls series. Some would have come across these. 10 Boys Who Changed the World, 10 Girls Who Changed the World. And there's about a dozen of these. This is 10 Boys Who Didn't Give In. And uh, we read the other night about Nate Sant, who many of you, Saint, uh, many of you may know uh, well. I knew nothing about him. He was a, a contemporary and worked with Jim Elliot, who's probably more famous. Uh, so the story is, of course, that uh, in 1955, uh, Nate Sant and uh, four others, they, they're in Ecuador, flying over Ecuador, and they spotted a settlement of uh, Orca people and decided that's who we're going to reach. We're going to reach these people. And so spent a few months learning the language and um, lowering by basket from an airplane. How do you do that from an airplane? Anyway, goodies and... Um, you've got to be a very good pilot, I imagine. Uh, goodies and sort, sort of presents, so they, people knew that they would be coming in peace. They did this for months. And then on the 8th of January, 1956, Nate Sant with Jim Elliott and, and three others landed and walked to the settlement of the Orca people and were killed. Had spears driven through all of them. Three years later... Nate's sister and uh, Elizabeth Elliot went back to the tribe. It's quite a big deal, isn't it? They've killed your brother, they've killed your husband. And again, had a go at sharing Jesus Christ. And one or two became Christians. And then a few more, and a few more. And so they raised their families there in Ecuador. And two of Nate Saint's kids, uh, Stephen, Mary, I think the other one was, were baptized in that settlement by two of the men who'd killed their dad, who'd become Christians. Now that would have been a baptism service to be at, wouldn't it? A few tears? I would have thought so. How extraordinary. What rejoicing. You don't get that unless you persevere and you struggle to share the gospel with people. 
and you share Christ with them in a way that will absolutely turn a murderer into someone who will baptize your kids. That's extraordinary, isn't it? How will the nations be reached? Paul's method was struggling by God's energy. His message was the riches of Christ. Oh, it'll transform people's lives extraordinarily. So what should we do? I don't know. What should you do with something like that? What should we do with the nations around us or the nations amongst us? Here are the four things I always say. It's something like this. Some will go, and some should go. Some have a heart to go overseas. Do it. Go. Uh, many won't. We'll stay. There are other things we could do so you can go. Two, pray. We've got these green little booklets. They're just a start. All of us can be involved. And what extraordinary rejoicing there is in hearing of what's going on around the world. Pray. Three, welcome. All those nations, many of them which won't allow Christian missionaries on our doorstep, welcome them. In whatever way you can, international cafe here, student work, international student work. Give will be the fourth. We try every year, year on year, to raise the percentage of our budget that we give to overseas work. And we want to keep doing that. Now, I don't know which is easiest for you to be involved in. And maybe you shouldn't do the easiest. But those four things, there are four ways we could all be involved. We can go, we can pray, we can welcome, we can give. Because God's desire is that the nations know, the peoples know, the riches of Christ. And it's the most glorious thing to be involved in. Let's pray together. Our Father, we praise you again that you are Almighty God and Lord of all the peoples of this earth. And yet through the Lord Jesus Christ, you command us to go, go to the peoples, the nations around us, and share the gospel, teaching them to become disciples. So we pray that we would be those who are willing to live this way, to go struggling, but by your power, to speak of Jesus Christ, and therefore be involved in this work of great joy as the nations praise you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.